0: Welcome back to the Valley Vanguard Podcast. I'm Brian Fox, and I'm joined here today by Dr. Lucy Mercier, Professor of Social Work at Saginaw Valley State University. Eddie Jones, Director of the Student Counseling Center here. Barb Smith, Executive Director of the Barb Smith Suicide Resource and Response Network. Dana Kaczynski, Assistant Director of of the Student Counseling Center and Advisor to Active Minds here on campus. And Maria Voss, Administrative Assistant to the Office of the President. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Definitely. Yeah, really happy to have you all here to talk about important issues here on campus as well as the Resource and Response Network that's benefiting from the Battle of the Valleys charity drive here. So uh, Barb, I think I'd like to start with you first. Can you describe what the Suicide Resource and Response Network is and what types of services it provides to the communities in the region?
1: Sure. Our. Um agency or network's been around for about 30 years and we offer suicide prevention intervention and aftercare services meaning we offer trainings having to do with suicide prevention as well as working with families after someone has died by suicide mm-hmm. we offer ongoing support groups and outreach for those who are newly breathed by suicide mm-hmm. and um, within the university we're offering trainings um, on campus to teach your students and faculty on how to recognize someone with thoughts and where they can go for services.
0: Yeah, I believe you just came from a training session, is that right?
1: I did. Yeah. I did. It was a great group of students. We had about 30 in the group and they were very much interested and had lots of questions.
0: Was that over in the uh, HHS building?
1: Um, it was in um, Mr. Koch's uh, ethics class. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Very
0: interesting. Um, so with with those partnerships with with colleges, especially with SVSU, can you talk a bit more about those those trainings that are offered and other events that you've done here or are planning to do here?
1: Sure. Um, we've been offering Safe Talk training, which is evidence-based training, three and a half hours to teach any, any, any individual how to recognize someone with thoughts and how to have the conversation and then to connect them to somebody in the community, whether in um, you know on the campus or outside the campus. So that one is called Safe Talk. We will be offering an assist training, which is two full days, to do more in-depth, um, and uh, as well as the Safe Talk information, but then going beyond that to do um, developing a safe plan. Mm-hmm. And we have worked closely with Active Minds as well, with Eddie and Dana. So if we have someone we have a concern about, we do some connecting with them as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I'd maybe like to jump over to, uh, to you, Dr. Mercier, about the, the incorporation of those trainings, as well as just general um, suicide awareness and mental health awareness into the social work curricula here. Can you talk a bit about that?
2: Um, Sure. So we have both undergraduate and graduate social work students on campus. Um, Every student who graduates from SVSU's social work program has um, at least some basic training about recognizing um, the signs and symptoms of a person who's at risk for suicide and the, the sort of the handoff. So even if they aren't educated enough to provide ongoing treatment, they understand how to set up a short-term contract mm-hmm. to get someone to a real person who can assist them in developing, um, as Barb said, a plan for um, on, you know sort of receiving help. Um, and I think that um, one of the things we really emphasize in our curriculum is that Uh, Many times you hear people say, well, they need to go see a therapist. Um, And social workers can be therapists, but often they're in other roles in their communities. And we try to train people to say, um, even if I'm not their ongoing therapist, it's my responsibility as the person who's in touch with the individual in front of me to take responsibility for what I see and not just kind of push them off to go talk to somebody else about it. So the emphasis in our kind of foundational education is about that, is about everyone's responsible, we all care about each other, so we have to um, act in the here and now. Yeah. It's kind of like the bystander training that we do on campus, right? So everybody's responsible.
0: Yeah, definitely, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Eddie Jones, I'd like to go to you, and uh, could you talk a bit about the range of resources offered at SVSU's Counseling Center here?
3: Um, yes the range of resources Um, we start with you know if a student come in um, we have the material to offer self-help material that they can read and take on their own um, that's when they present with they just need a little help getting by um, Then we we offer every Thursday um, a group that's based around designing a plan for for them to to cope better within this community, the university community. On Wednesdays, I believe it is, we have a um, workshop and we also offer individual counseling. with the individual counseling from there we make referrals into the community um, regularly if we see the need for um, more intense long-term care um, specialty type care Um, so that's that's pretty much the level from Mm -hmm. handing out a pamphlet on how to get through a current struggle to a referral to a psychiatrist out or a psychologist out in the community.
0: Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask about that. So when somebody has a serious problem that needs to be addressed by a specialist, you've got uh, that that network to be able to get students the help they need off campus. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. Um, we 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 have resources in um, Midland that we use frequently, um, Bay City and Saginaw. So we we try to incorporate the entire region.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: That brings me to something that I wanted to ask and and something that I've heard from uh, people that think they may need therapy, but can't can't find access to it or or feel that they don't have access to it. So let's say a student is having some type of troubles and they they say to you, I'm either at work or at school during the times that the counseling center is open and I can't afford my co-pays to go to a therapist off campus. So they feel that that therapy or mental health treatment is unattainable to them. And this is for everybody what can somebody in that situation do to get help?
3: I'll speak to it. Some of the agencies in the area, as far as income and insurance, they work on a sliding scale. You know, they they try to meet the clients where they are. Um, And as far as time restraints, um, there are, Resources out there. Um, even if we have to, in the counseling center, contact community mental health and see what do they have available. You know, um, in their network, we'll we'll do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, with Dr. Mercier here, um, I'm gonna say as a social worker. You know, that's part of our ethical responsibility is to get the client what they need.
2: Yeah. So. yeah, I'm going to I'm going to jump on there. One of the other roles I have on campus is the director of the Pride Center, that's our LGBTQ resource center. And we recognized early on that we needed to help these at-risk students. So some of our LGBT students are at increased risk because of isolation or family rejection or other problems, and we recognized early on we needed to do more than just provide education and support. And we started doing case management because, for example, they might not have transportation, they need kind of ongoing support, has to happen off campus. And so we spent quite a lot of time, once we can connect with a student, setting up things like transportation or finding a therapist who will take a sliding B-scale client um, or you know, in collaboration with the counseling center, Um, working on getting services for those clients. I think the big hang up for students on campus is that they think they they can't receive help when actually if they reach out, there are lots of services on campus that will provide that kind of support. Um, It's just that kind of campus. Mm -hmm. And so there are many ways for students to connect with people who can help them. and and often people are afraid to do that or ashamed about it. I think the stigma issue is big here, yes. um, and people are embarrassed about being that depressed or anxious or um, not sure what's going on for mm-hmm. them, um, and they and they uh, are having difficulty making those connections. Partly because they have you know because they're depressed or anxious, so it's kind of a vicious cycle.
0: Yeah, it sounds like when somebody. On campus needs help. That it, it sounds like there's going to be paths for them to get that, regardless of their their time situation, their their financial situation. It, it sounds like uh, the different departments are are prepared to get them that help, whether it's here on campus or off.
2: We could probably do a better job of organizing and in um, being clear about who does what. But I mm. think the bottom line is that people care. Yes.
0: And they'll figure it out.
2: Yeah. So.
0: Uh, Barb, maybe this would be a good time to talk about the the hotlines as well, since those are pretty much reachable by anybody with a telephone, right?
1: Sure, and actually on the BOV sweatshirts mm-hmm. and T-shirts, it's the text line, which is 741-741, and they can text that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It connects them automated first and then to a live person for any issues or concerns they might be having. It doesn't just have to be suicide, and they'll just kind of walk them through what they can do and how they can connect. The other number is the 1-800-273-TALK, and that is a 24-hour phone line that they can call and talk as well. I also encourage students there is a 211, which is non-emergency. So those are local um, services in the community that can help them. They're all nonprofits. So if if it's not a crisis, they can call 211 and find out where they can get food or housing Mm -hmm. or some of their bills and you know you have a finance department here who are wonderful people that can connect them to services so no one needs to suffer alone there's many places they can access and if not you know just look at another student or a fellow you know roommate you know just talk to them because what we find out is many of them have the same concerns or issues and yet they think they're alone so once you start talking about it they'll find out that they're not alone
0: absolutely i mean i know from my own experiences when i was developing like basically a general anxiety disorder, I ended up, I started talking to people about it. And it's, it's wild. Like what you'll find out about the students, the coworkers around you, I would find out that people were having the same problems as me and I had no idea because they were all smiles all day. They were productive students, the 4.0. And I was working with these people on a weekly basis. And Mm -hmm. I think that really does speak to that stigma issue that you brought up, Lucy, where People are afraid to talk about issues that they have. They're afraid to be seen walking into a counseling center for people to know that they're in therapy, and that shouldn't be the way it is.
1: Can I ask a question? Because yeah. I think it needs clarity for many students. Is If someone does come to the counseling office, does that go on their record? Or are family members called? or parents called? Or if they come in, what is your protocol so students have an idea of what they can expect if they come in? and you know, wanting to talk about something. I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers and also the stigma surrounding it. So can we guide us on what happens?
3: Excellent question, Barb, um, and it's becoming part of our vernacular in the Counseling Center to make sure we say free and confidential. Um, we keep a separate record system than the rest of the university, so all the notes and reports that go along with a, with a client is separate from what anyone else can access um the counselors in the center have access to the the system um even it can't get um into the system to the point where they can see a client's record there's a national um it's a national company that maintenance the the system um But that's the confidentiality piece as far as their records, Um, calling, emailing, or just walking in to set up an appointment um, are ways of of getting established with the counseling center.
1: That's very uh, highly confidential. So there wouldn't be a concern. And sometimes I think um, for people in general to understand that parents won't be called unless it's a, a decision between the both of you to figure out how they can keep them safe as well as making sure they have outside support besides on campus so I feel like a lot of students needed to hear that that this does not go on your record this is not going to count against you for your higher education so Correct. that and sounds like it's really um, very secret or not secret very private confidential
3: yes and that free part um, is another um, aspect of that that there isn't insurance required to come into the counseling center so your parents won't get a letter from their insurance companies saying that they accessed um, their insurance. So. Yeah.
1: Great.
0: Uh, Dana, I think I'd like to talk to you um, about that stigma issue in terms of uh, Active Minds. I know we we had uh, Nicole on our last episode. That's already up. And she did an excellent job of describing the basics of what Active Minds does here on campus. Can you talk about the how Active Minds works with the Counseling Center, how they put on events, and how they tackle that issue of mental health awareness and especially stigma.
5: Sure. I know. I listened to her podcast and it was really good. She yeah. did an excellent job. Um, she talked a little bit about the National Chapter mission and how ours is very similar and basically Active Minds is on campus. We're a registered student organization that works to provide different programming to reduce mental health stigma on our campus. and. Um, that is what they do for us. Um, they are like our outreach for the counseling center, and we—they're in our office all the time. And I advise them, and um, they're great. They're very hands-on with everything, and they make it a point of doing as much as they can with you know the volunteer time that they have to provide different types of um, events or programming or speaks or speeches or whatever speaking engagements that people ask them to come provide for them to talk about different mental health issues so mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: so to, to stick with the, the the idea of stigma about, about mental health uh, and seeking treatment what can people listening like students do in their everyday lives to address that stigma and to prompt those conversations when it's necessary
1: This is Barbara, and I guess I might say that just as you stated earlier, you were having anxiety and you thought you were the only one. I feel like if everyone, you know, not that we want to express ourselves or expose ourselves to the world, but at some point when you find that safe person or someone that you connect with, just introduce yourself as someone who has had anxiety or depression or substance abuse, and you wouldn't be surprised how many other people have an understanding. So if each one of us has a discussion starting privately, my hope is that we will destigmatize, and it allows more conversation on campus.
5: And this is Dana, and I think one of the things we talk about too in session a lot with, um, or I do with with my clients, is that if you know one in four people on in the general population is has a diagnosable mental health issue, that does not mean we are exempt here on this campus. So, you know, you can't see it always on the outside. You have to ask about it. You have to talk to your friends. Talk to your your peers and people in your classrooms and things like that because mental health isn't a physical thing that you can always see. So it's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
5: This this is Lucy. I I am an advocate of training people to speak up
2: when they see mental health shaming Mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. and to say something about how unacceptable it is to um, behave as though people with illnesses are somehow bad. Um, and that a mental health issue is an illness like any other and um, we ought to be respectful of each other Um, and I think faculty need to do a better job of that as well Um, and not just students, faculty and staff and um, everybody needs to be educated about that
4: yeah I was gonna uh, this is Maria I was gonna add something about faculty and staff as well because I think if students know that you know it is one in four across across the board, right? People who um, may struggle with mental illness or anxiety, depression, Um, that goes for faculty and staff too. So to approach a faculty or a staff member with an issue or, um, you know, I hope that students understand that if they were to come to me, for example, find me in the hallway in president's office, whatever, that I would, you know, meet that with understanding and not be like, you know, us old people don't understand. Like, that's not, (laughs) that's not. True at all. So, yeah. uh, just reiterating the comments that have already been said to encourage students to feel comfortable talking, talking about what's going on, and um, knowing that they'll meet an understanding person.
0: Yeah, Maria, that's that's an excellent point because one of one of the people that I ended up talking to, you know, I was having these problems and I was thinking, well, who do I know on campus who's got a stressful job? Mm-hmm. And so I went to one of my professors, and it was a great conversation. They were very understanding, and I think that faculty is an especially good resource because those are people. If they're your professors, those are people that you're already seeing on, like, a, you know, two times a week at least. So you've got that pre-established relationship with them. And, I mean, they're always happy to talk with their students. Mm-hmm.
3: You know? And and we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say we all support staff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the In line with what everyone else said, connect with someone, I, I, whether it's your RA, um a uh, custodian, wh- whoever, do not isolate. You know, is, is one of the biggest things with, you know, reducing the stigma. You know, if you connect with someone, you might find some sort of connection there.
0: Yeah, and I, I think on there's sort of a flip side to this as well. When when we see somebody having problems, or when they come to us and say, you know, I'm I've I've been depressed lately that can be awkward. You know, it can be awkward to hear that and know what to do. Sometimes you don't know what to say, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But I think it's really important when anyone has someone close to them or, or even just an acquaintance where they're, they're seeing that or they're hearing that from them to at the very least just, just listen to, to be there for them and hope and, you know to help them get the resources that they need as well.
1: And this is Barb. Um, I feel like that's probably the most impactful statement is you just really need to listen. You know, we don't need to fix people. They don't want to be diagnosed. They just want to be heard. So oftentimes if they can just be heard for a little bit, that'll decrease the anxiety and decrease that possibility of thoughts of suicide coming into place. So just really being open to having the conversation. And when someone does say something to you or they're open, just say, you know, thanks for trusting me. Let's talk about this. I mean, very simply stated, Mm -hmm. you know, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for being honest. And let's talk about this. And, And then just sit quietly. Yeah.
4: Uh, This is Maria. I just want to piggyback off of that because I think for everybody listening, faculty, staff, students, if someone were to come to you and you have a, at SVSU we're very compassionate, we have a heart for empathy and want to go where we've been before and ask very direct questions about, oh, you're feeling this way. I know how you feel. Here's how I addressed it or whatever. But it is really important to go into those conversations acting like you don't know anything at all about um, what they're feeling because you don't mm-hmm. so it is really important to go into those conversations and just open it up for them to own their what they're feeling and and process that with them without projecting your own experiences with mental illness on their experiences
0: yeah absolutely because yeah like you say you don't necessarily know what somebody's going through and mm-hmm. sometimes they don't Need advice. Sometimes they just need somebody to listen and to understand. Well, let yeah. me
3: tell you about my problem. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. 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 So, um, what are what are some of the signs that students may see in some of their peers or even in themselves that therapy or some sort of um, some sort of mental health resource may be necessary? And I'm thinking of you know negative coping mechanisms, uh, signs of depression. Like what? should people look out for that are, that are common to uh, college students?
1: This is Barbara, I guess. We, uh, just to be uh, um, cognitive of any behavior changes, increased alcohol, substance abuse, change in sleeping, change in eating, change in their grades, their attitudes, um, more anger, isolation. You know, we can go through a whole list of them that could actually identify anyone but if we just think about that person personally and let's just look at behavior change, what is unique, what is different for this friend at this time? Because a lot of people have normal behaviors that might be my abnormal behavior. So looking at just behavior changes is probably the biggest telltale.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, and it goes along with establishing relationships. We do our RA training training. Um, at the beginning of every semester. And that's one of the messages that we we give, get to know your residents so that you can know what the baseline is. Um, And that's what we encourage is establishing some sort of relationship on campus um, or off campus in your community, if you're a commuter student, um, so that you have someone, uh, a confidant that can know what your normal is. Um, So again, it's the changes, like Barb said, that yeah. um, are the red flags.
5: And this is Dana too. And at the beginning of the semester, I know we went to speak with the um, communications department and talk about different types of things about the mental health or the counseling center and mental health issues with our students. And one of the, I would say, one of the big resource for us is the the professors on campus too. When they aren't seeing students in class. Yeah. Or they're seeing, you know, grades starts starting to slip. They are really good about getting students over to see us, or encouraging people. Sometimes they walk them over if they need to. Um, they just they don't know what to do, but they're going to try to connect a student with some help. So those types of things are, you know, again, changes in behavior or just absent. They're not there. Those types of things.
3: Between us and. Um The Office of Student Affairs. We distribute a guide to disruptive and distressed students um, at the beginning of each semester, and in this guide, it gives warning signs. It gives um, instructions on what to do if you have a disruptive student or if you have a distressed student. You know, and the feedback from faculty is that it is um, it is helpful. So if there's faculty listening that that do not have one, um, give the counseling Center a call at 964-7078, and we can help you get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: This is Lucy. I think as a faculty member, sometimes I, I hear people say, well, that's not really my job or it's not my business. Yes. Okay. Um, and I think it's really important for people to understand that we won't have any business, if, we, if our students are um, suffering, if they're sick, um, it's part of our job is, um, I don't know what, surrogate family, to step in when we see somebody who's struggling and it might not be a mental health issue, um, but it could be and I think that um, it's a huge red flag when students uh, are gone it might be for a good reason. Maybe they're starting a romance, or you know, something like that. But it's often because they're really struggling um, with all of the stressors of uh, college life. So, uh, I think sometimes faculty are reluctant to step in because yeah. they think it's not their business or not their job.
0: That reminded me of what I asked you. What I wanted to ask you, Barb. Uh, so, you know, so something that we had talked about previously is a lot of people in college feel that some level of serious stress and anxiety is simply part of the college experience. And I mean, maybe there's something to that, like midterms are always going to be stressful. Finals are always going to be stressful to some degree. Um, but I guess at, at what point do symptoms of anxiety become serious outside of the norm where they're going to be really concerning? And what should people be looking at in themselves, you know, um, in terms of that going overboard and needing to be addressed?
1: Well, I think that's a good question. And I think that when it changes your quality of life, right, and the things that used to make you happy, the things you used to enjoy that would give you that reprieve a little bit, right, and all of a sudden that doesn't matter. You can't even enjoy what you used to enjoy when it stops you from being able to concentrate and keeping your grades at a level because you've got yourself so worked up that you can't even stay focused on things that used to become easy for you. So when it really starts to affect you in a negative way, it might be time to get professional help and to really look at some of the self-care things, you know, that, that could help you. But I, I would have to say that when it's the quality of life and changes your life and your attitude to where you don't have any calm or any peace or any enjoyment at any time, it's, it's time to seek help, um, professional help. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot. They say 80 to 90 percent of people um, have, can have a very um, high quality of life, productive life with the right treatment, um, whether it's medications, counseling, you know, any, any outside help or outside sources can be helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also true that, you know, people can be cognizant of these things in themselves, right? Like if you find yourself suffering suddenly from insomnia or mm-hmm. from decreased appetite for no reason, right? Like that can be indicative of, of a problem that needs to be addressed. And, and Barb, you mentioned uh, self-care. I think that's a really good segue into coping mechanisms that we could talk about. And again, this is for everybody. Like, What kind of coping me- mechanisms and self-care can we recommend to people who are dealing with some of the common stresses of college life? And what are some of the negative coping mechanisms that people may be relying on, like like self-medication?
2: So um, I, I think that healthy relationships are the most important Um that's my prejudice, mm-hmm. um, and that um, people need to look at sometimes the relationships that they have and decide that right now what they need are the healthy ones, um, so not just any relationships, not just going out and partying all the time, but to find people who can help support what's good for us, for ourselves, and um, spend time with those people who can, we can talk to, who care about us, who are interested in our well-being, um, and um, making the effort to connect with those people can really, really be he- helpful. I think Barb said earlier something about just being alone is a huge risk factor. Feeling alone, like nobody's there for you. So that for me, that's a positive coping mechanism and probably the most important one.
0: Yeah, and I want to stick with this topic, but I think that's so true because when you isolate yourself, it's so easy to just really stay in that dark place. And I know when when depression really hits sometimes like you don't want to get out of that yeah. space. You want to be there and you convince yourself that that's right. And yeah. it can t- really take over. So yeah, I think just getting outside and, and being with people and having real conversations is, is, is critical.
5: I think you mentioned it overall wellness, not mm-hmm. just mental health, but physical health. And I think sometimes starting at the very, you know basic of everything how are you sleeping how are you fueling your body with food are you getting outside are you exercising and I'm not talking about going to run a marathon but having some type of physical activity does increase you know the good kinds of chemicals to be released in the brain and those are helpful things to do so starting at the very basic things um, to promote the overall wellness is important too
0: Yeah, absolutely
3: And on campus, Campus Wellness and Fitness um, with Andrea Hamlin, Campus Recreation, um, with Aaron Mowen, PHE offer um, a lot of different resources and ideas for overall wellness um, are some of the different resources that's available on campus. In addition to student life, if there's um, interactions and dealing with the isolation um, part of, of mental mental health challenges um, so there are resources all around campus um, again ask if you see the Saginaw Valley logo on, on someone we're here for them for you so um,
0: yeah and those are all great ways to, to meet people as well mm-hmm. and to and to a little get a little social activity in your life and and rsls as well like just involvement and things that interest you i think can help as well
1: and this is barb i think um to piggyback off that i feel like when you belong to something you have a sense of belongingness and with all of the clubs all of the groups on campus like i would like to challenge every student to participate in at least one activity outside of their curriculum so that they can um, be connected to others and outside of the stressors so finding that one-hour week or once-a-month meeting or someplace where they have a voice, but outside of the campus as well as inside the campus. But, you know, a sense of belongingness and connectedness is the number one um, for helping you mentally, emotionally, and also to feel a value. So, And I think everybody has a purpose. Mm-hmm. So why not use your talent or your gift and use it for good?
0: Yeah, and there really is something for everybody here on campus. Yeah. I mean, it's not a huge campus, but it's, it's pretty active in terms of student clubs, um And also activities like you know moot court things like that there's there's something for everybody
1: and if there's not, make it exactly right, develop it <laughs> yeah, right absolutely. like be the be the first one to develop something here or start a program or a club like you know own this own this campus
0: yeah faculty and staff are hugely supportive of that absolutely
4: mm-hmm.
2: i I think sometimes when people are feeling bad, they think i I don't deserve or i um I can't do anything fun because mm-hmm. I'm messing up in every other way. And I, I, I that's, um, a, that's the kind of thinking that prevents people from doing wellness activities. Um, I think it's okay to take a break, watch a movie, play a game, talk to your friends, go for a walk. And people need to think of that in the same way that you think about sleeping and eating. That... Um, uh, taking care of ourselves is part of what fuels mental health um, and so p- sometimes people forget that or they don't like themselves so much that they don't want to do anything pleasurable um, and uh, that just makes things worse mm-hmm. so yeah. I'm thinking about faculty and staff <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and, you know get stressful we work a lot of and course. we don't take good care of ourselves yeah yeah I hope this is okay. This is Barb to say, but Dr. Beth Rowe is my friend slash mentor. And I always giggle with her. Like she gets up before work and I don't know what time she gets up, but she always exercises. And when I speak with her at some point in the afternoon, I'm like, what are you doing? She said, I'm just walking the campus. I'm like, you have time to do that? She goes, I don't not have time to do this. Mm -hmm. So she even makes the effort to do a walk around campus at some points during the day in between meetings and scheduling. And she has a very busy schedule, as we all know as many faculties so i guess if she has you know i guess she has given me permission to make those even if it's a 10 minute walk mm-hmm. to clear your mind to get refueled so there's always time for 10 minutes yeah
0: yeah and that really speaks to you know work life balance and mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it can get very hectic and busy whether it's work or school but i mean you got to take take time for yourself as well mm-hmm. to to recharge and just center yourself mm-hmm. yeah
4: yeah this is maria i just want to jump in on this topic because i think um, a lot of times, the students, faculty, staff, a lot of people that you meet that have high anxiety or are really struggling with uh, mental illness are really high achieving, and that's partly why maybe they're struggling. Um, so, with the things that are going on on campus and available to them to do and get connected, um, walking, you know, any kind of exercise, stuff like that, as long as it's purposeful for that person. Um, it should be okay for that student or that faculty or staff to then look at what else they have going and say that's not a priority. I'm going to say no to something because I yes. don't have to be perfect at everything. Um, and I, I don't know if that's necessarily a coping mechanism, but saying no is a really powerful thing to make space for the things you need to do, like take a walk or whatever helps you, Yeah. you know
0: or stop answering work emails at five, or we you know, whatever yeah, it is, because like, right. that kind of thing can really take over your life right. and, and exacerbate those problems, mm-hmm. I think. Dr. Mercier, I think, let's see, we already talked about interventions and prevention practices incorporated into the social work curriculum. Is there anything else that we should cover there in terms of like the social work? I, you know, I
2: really just want to emph- emphasize that I see suicide redu- risk reduction as a community issue. Um, I realize that it's an individual problem, but the solutions are in our communities. They're not, um, there's no magic wand that Eddie and Dana have that is going to make things better after a few sessions in the counseling center. Um, Many, many people struggle to, um, in a long-term basis with all kinds of issues, doesn't mean that suicidal feelings will last forever. But I do think that as a community, the solutions are in everyone lifting this up and making it um, okay to, if you're hungry, you need food. If you're tired, you need sleep. If you're feeling suicidal, you need the community to care for you and protect you and get you the help that you need. Yeah, that's Um, that's an excellent point. Yeah. So that's really what I wanted to emphasize from from my perspective
0: yeah because I think a lot of people focus on the individual when it comes to suicide and suicide prevention and you know when when somebody's feeling that like they generally they need help Mm -hmm. right they need help to get better and there is absolutely a community responsibility there to Mm -hmm. to help those around us who are in that situation Um, but continuing with the uh, with the social work program here for For anybody who's listening here who may be like an undecided major or something and they're interested in mental health, what can somebody who's interested in mental health do in the social work program here and in the social work field as work?
2: So uh, a master's degree in social work is the degree which in, is the number one provider of mental health services in this country. So um, good great for me to market the new MSW program on campus. So we have oh, a new master's social Work program. Students who graduate from that program will be eligible to take the clinical social work exam, which would allow you to be an independent mental health practitioner. And both Dana and Eddie are MSWs Mm -hmm. um, and uh, trained to provide those sorts of services. Um, On a a larger scale, I think um, social work is the profession that, um, for people who are interested in mental health, also uh, trains you to do program development and community change to address issues from a larger level, a larger scale. So um, individually helping people who are at risk for suicide is important. We also need to educate and support family members, mm-hmm. survivors, um, mental, we need to train mental health practitioners so that they have uh, evidence-based responses to people who are at risk for suicide. We need to Um, advocate for money for prevention and prevention education we need to address this in um, public schools so that um, as people are growing up they understand mental health in the same way that they understand their physical bodies Um, so social work addresses all of those issues yeah Um, I'm a you know obviously I'm rooting for my own team here (laughs) but um, but there's lots to do at the undergraduate level Uh, someone with a bachelor's in social work um, can do direct care for people who are chronically impacted by mental health issues and so they do lots of direct care for example in residential or hospital settings um, and then provide support services for families that are dealing with mental health issues as well things like transportation and finding resources for them and that sort of thing so at every level
0: yeah absolutely I think a lot of what you've just talked about circles back really well back to the Barb Smith yeah. Suicide Resource and Response Network and what they provide. So maybe we should um, sort of wrap this up by talking a bit about more about Battle of the Valleys and the charity drive that is benefiting the Resource and Response Network. Uh, we're in the middle of it right now. Like We've got all kinds of events here on campus that are raising funds. Uh, people can also donate online on SVSU's Battle of the Valleys webpage, which I strongly encourage them to do. We're selling really cool shirts and sweatshirts, and there's like a nice combo deal if you want to get some of those here on campus. Uh, I think they may be able to order those online as well. Um, but yeah, uh, Barb, can you talk a bit more about what being the beneficiary of Battle of the Valleys will mean to the Resource and Response Network?
1: Oh, it I mean, a lot of open doors, a lot more education, awareness, destigmatizing, um, bringing in extra programs, helping me possibly get another staff member um, we really need to do uh, do this and do it robust, right? I mean, we can't just surface it. We need to continue to do layers. And I'm very proud, very honored that SPSU did choose us. Uh, they could have chosen anyone, and they chose us because they believe in this cause, they believe in the message. And I'm very honored. All the money stays local to do um, local events that we, you know, we can open statewide. But this all this money stays right here to do good work in this community to help us save lives. So. I'm, I'm proud of our kids. I'm proud of our students. I'm proud of the staff. I'm excited. Um, I can't wait to come to the game Saturday. I know you have guys won 10 consecutive years, so mm-hmm. I'm anticipating 11. Yep, definitely. And I'm anticipating uh, Last year you raised 35000 and my hope is that you surpass that so we can do a lot of work. So I truly am honored, and I feel blessed um, that you did accept us when we applied. So thank you.
0: Yeah, I, I hope that the amount is high as well this year. I mean, everyone I talk to is is not just saying like, "Oh, that's a that's a cool idea." Like they're excited that it is the suicide response and response network that's benefiting. Um, everybody is the the energy feels high on campus. Everybody seems excited. So yeah, I've got high hopes for the yeah. for the for the amount as well. Well,
1: it's interesting because uh, we do Yellow Ribbon, which is the youth suicide prevention in the high schools, and I've been doing that for ten years. So we work with students in high schools. And five, five of my students that have graduated and now are SVSU students are very excited and just coming back and saying, I want to help save people the way you helped save me, and yeah. I want to give the way you gave. And so I'm excited to see the young, the young people that we mentor to grow up and now want to be mentors to other people and make a difference. So I'm, I'm very proud. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
4: Thanks. I'm just going to encourage listeners from an institutional standpoint that just to give give Mm -hmm. to Battle of the Valleys. There's a lot of really great fundraising opportunities going on right now which is awesome. You can never be sad about too many opportunities to give back but this is really special and it's something that as a former undergrad and graduate student here, Battle of the Valleys has always been exciting for me. I know it's a really great time so please give what you can um, and definitely show up at the game on Saturday.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm gonna be there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it'll, it'll all benefit um, a community organization that does excellent, critical, life-saving work. And we're going to beat Grand Valley. So yes. That's oh, important. yes, we are. That's what <laughs> I hear. <laughs> well, great. Um, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to plug that's coming up? Any, any events, any interesting things that we should talk about just while you're here that are, that are coming up in the near future?
1: Well, this is Barb, and we have um, um, Hope Starts Here on November 17th. It's at Bavarian Inn Lodge. That is for anyone who has lost someone to suicide, it's a day of hope. We do art activity and we're bringing in a um, national known speaker on suicide brief, uh, bereavement. So my hope is that if anyone here has lost someone to suicide and they wanna join us on that day of hope, they're welcome to do so. If any students want to participate or volunteer, we would enjoy having them um being part of this day as well. Thank you.
0: Great. Dr. Lucy Mercier, Eddie Jones, Barb Smith, Dana Kaczynski, and Maria Voss, thank you so much for joining me today.